If you'll take your Bible with me this morning and if you'll open to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want us to read beginning in verse 6 down to verse 16. We're in a series on Sunday mornings from the book of 1 Corinthians. This is the sixth message and that we have made it to chapter 2. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 2 beginning in verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who has come from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, in these coming few minutes, we're going to be unfolding these verses of Scripture in a way that I pray that we will all be able to take home with us, understanding what you're saying and, more importantly, applying to our daily lives. Lord, I pray today that we will sense and know your presence. You are here. You are here. There's no question that you are here. But Father, may we know in very tangible ways because we hear the Spirit of God speaking to us. And Lord, for those who may be amongst us today that don't know you, may this be a day of conviction. May this be a day of conversion. May this be a day of new beginning as they come to faith in you. And I ask these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to begin today by just telling you a little bit of a struggle that I've had over the past two weeks. Specifically, the struggle that I've had with these 11 verses that I read to you today. I started reading these verses two weeks ago. Actually, I started studying them. I've been reading been reading them for weeks, but I started studying these verses in greater detail two weeks ago. Generally, once you begin studying a passage of Scripture, you begin exegeting the text, looking at what the words mean and the context in which they're spoken and why they're here. A message begins to develop out of that, and you begin to see a direction that you want to go. But the truth of the matter is, over the last two weeks, as I have read these verses over and over and I've studied them in detail, I understand what they mean, but I had trouble grasping how I was going to make it into a sermon. You understand that there's at least two parts to a sermon. You've got to first understand the text. You've got to understand what was being said to those who heard it when they first were given the text. What did the Corinthians hear the Apostle Paul saying when he spoke these 11 words that we're talking about and that we've read this morning? But then you've got to take what they heard and you've got to bridge that gap and you've got to come over here and you've got to say, now how does that apply to our 21st century society? How does this truth that the first century Christians heard apply in the 21st century. And then the outline of the sermon is the bridge. It's the bridge that goes from the first century to the 21st century. You don't preach a sermon just outlining a text like you would in a lecture, like you would in a seminary classroom. 
You, you preach a sermon by taking a first century text and bringing it into the 21st century and building your outline as the bridge that you cross over to make that application. But the problem was I tried every possible way to build a bridge. And I struggled over and over for two weeks. This doesn't normally happen. It's not the usual thing that happens. And when it happens, I panic. I got up yesterday morning before Mary awakened. I left the house while she was still asleep. She didn't even know I left. And I came over here to my office, and I opened up my Bible again, and I got out my study materials again, and I began praying as I had been praying, God, please show me what you want to say from these verses to your people today. I understand what you were saying to the Corinthians. I want them to understand what you're saying to them. Please help me, Lord. I don't know how to go about this. I can't figure it out. I prayed it over and over while I was studying. After about an hour and a half, I still didn't have the bridge. And so I left my desk, my chair at my desk where I study, and I went over to a leather chair that's in my office back here, and I, I put my feet up because my legs were bothering me, and I put my feet up, and I laid my head back and sort of closed my eyes, and within five minutes... God had showed me what he wanted said from this passage of Scripture. Now, to be honest with you, I fussed at him a little while. I said, Lord, I don't want to go to the last minute of the last day like this again. My, my mind and my nerves can't take this. Lord, I want it sooner. I want it quicker. But he showed me what he wanted said from this passage of Scripture so that we can take a first century text and we can see how it applies in the 21st century, not by just telling you the details and the facts of what's in this text, but by building a bridge so that you can see the connection and you can cross over that bridge to apply it to your daily life. And there's three statements that I want to give you by which we will, this is the bridge, by which we will bridge these two first century and 21st century, these two time periods. The first statement, this, the first part of the bridge is this. As Christians, we should be living by a different standard. As Christians, we should be living by a different standard. Now, if you've been with me in this series of messages or you've been reading the book of 1 Corinthians, especially these opening chapters, you know that one of the things that the Apostle Paul does in these opening chapters is he, use, he uses contrasts. If you turn back into chapter 1, you notice in verse 18 that he contrasts those who are perishing with those who are being saved. If you move over a little later in that chapter, you find that in verse 27, he contrasts the foolish things with the wise. He contrasts the weak things with the mighty. When you get into verse 28, he contrasts the base things the things that are despised, that are being brought to nothing with the things that are chosen by God. And he gives these contrasts that are going on such that when you get to chapter 2, you see the contrast continuing. In verses 6 to 10, there's a contrast between God's wisdom and the wisdom of this age. When you get down into verses 10 to 13, you see a contrast between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world. And when you get to the last verses of this passage, you see a contrast between the natural man and the spiritual man. And it's in those contrasts where we begin, because there is a contrast in the way we are supposed to be living our lives as the followers of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to be living by a different standard. In other words, it's not about being smart in the wisdom of this age. It's about being smart in the wisdom of God. And there are two, those are two distinctly different things. One of them is a secular worldview, how you see the world. The other is a spiritual worldview, how you see the world from God's point of view. In other words, when God says that he wants us to live according to the wisdom of God, he says, we speak to you the wisdom of God. He, he comes and he says, look, I came to you 
in fear and in trembling. I came to you bringing a very simple message, the message of the cross, a message that anyone can understand, but I want you to know, I want you to grasp that I speak the wisdom of God among those that are mature. I speak the smarts of God to those that are mature and that are ready to receive it because I want you to know that what we have to say is the things are the things where you need to be smart. In, in other words, the wisdom of God is about being smart in the things that matter. Wisdom is not just being smart. It's being smart about the stuff it's smart to be smart about. Did you get that? Wisdom is not just being smart. That's the wisdom of this age. Wisdom is not just being smart. It's being smart about the stuff it's smart to be smart about. What's it smart to be smart about? It's smart to be smart about the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is the way of God. It's the will of God. If you will, it's the word of God. It's the way that God wants us to live out our lives. It is the, it is the boundaries in which we live our lives. It is the, the goal that we live to, that we desire to live to. It is those things that we seek to avoid because we don't want our lives to be sullied or tainted by the things of this world. We want to live in a manner that others will recognize Christ in us. We live by a different standard. We don't live by the wisdom of this age. We live by the wisdom of God. We want to be smart about the stuff it's smart to be smart about. Think about it for a moment. Imagine a person who's an expert TV repairman. Do you know how much need there is for a TV repairman in the 21st century? Almost none whatsoever. I can remember the day growing up as a kid, we had one TV. It was a black and white TV. It had tubes inside it. And if you wanted to watch something, you turned it on early because it had to warm up. And once it warmed up, then you would see there was only a handful of channels, three or four or five channels that you could watch. And if it broke down, what did you do? You took it to a TV repairman and he went inside and he replaced tubes that went out inside the TV. Any of you do that today? No, you don't do that. You go to the Best Buy and you just buy you another TV or you get on Amazon and you, you, you have it shipped right to your door. I mean, imagine a person who is an expert TV repairman. I mean, that's a great thing, except not many people get TVs repaired these days. Or imagine a man who repairs cassette tape players <laughs> or VHS tapes. I mean, that doesn't mean a whole lot to this next Netflix uh, generation. Or what, what would it mean to be an eight-track expert in a digital streaming world. I mean, you don't want to be an expert in this temporary world and be dumb as an ox when it comes to the eternal world that is to come. There's a lot of believers that are brilliant about worldly things, but they can't find their way in from the rain when it comes to spiritual things. There's some people who can hit a 350-yard drive and split the fairway, but they can't walk the straight and narrow path that God calls us to. They can drop a buck at 100 yards, but they can't quote John 3.16 or Romans 6.23. They can take apart a motor and put it back together again, but they can't quote the books of the Bible or even find the book of Genesis. They can talk for hours about the ins and outs of college football. Whew, after last night. We need to talk about the ins and outs of college football. They can talk for hours about the ins and outs of college football, but they won't open their mouths in a discussion about the Bible. Amen. Unfortunately, they're as bright as a million stars about worldly things, but they're dumb as a stump when it comes to spiritual things. They know a lot of stuff, but it's stuff that doesn't really matter for eternity or help you when you stand before God. And one day... One day, the sands of time are going to run out. The hourglass, the sands are going to run out. And all their knowledge about that stuff will be as worthless as a VCR and a cassette tape and a Polaroid camera. Amen. Am I getting my point across? Yes. 
Paul comes and he says, we speak the wisdom of God. We speak the wisdom of God. We're living by a different standard. We're not living by the standard of the wisdom of this age. We're living by the standard of the wisdom of God. We're trying to be smart about the stuff that is smart to be smart about. Now, you may be smart in a lot of the wisdom of the age. You may be an intellectual. You may be super smart. But I want to tell you, if you're dumb when it comes to spiritual things, you have missed out on the most important things in life. You just look to verse 12 again for a moment. Do you see the wisdom of God here? He says, for we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Now listen, that we might know. What's he want us to know? He wants us to know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Don't you want to know that? You want to know math and you want to know history. You want to know science. You want to know your job. You want to know the ins and outs of your job. You want to know college football. You want to know how to drive a golf ball. You want to know how to shoot, shoot a buck. You want to know how to fish. You want to know this, that, and the other. Don't you want to know the things that are eternal? Don't you want to know the things that God has freely, hear the words, he has freely given to us? Or do we want to walk through the world sort of dumb as a stump? I don't know what God did for me. I don't even know why it matters. I don't know what he expects from me. I don't know what his word says about those things. I just want to live my life just going ahead, shooting uh, the buck, and I want to go driving the drive 30, 350 yards down the fairway. I just want to make sure I catch the biggest uh, bass fish so that I can win the contest. There's nothing necessarily wrong with a lot of that, except that it means sometimes that we are smart about the stuff that we don't really need to be as smart about when we are not smart about the stuff that we ought to be smart about. We ought to be living by a different standard. You want to see some of the stuff you ought to be smart about? Look back at chapter 1, verse 30. Chapter 1, verse 30, he says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Now listen, this is the wisdom from God. This is the stuff you ought to be smart about. He says, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Do you understand righteousness? That's the, that's the Greek word that comes out of the court system that means to be declared right with God. The word sanctification comes out of the temple setting. It means to be set apart unto God. And the word redemption comes out of the slave market. It means to be set free by God. Don't you want to know those things? Don't you want to know the things that God has done for you? Don't you want to understand the goodness and the greatness of the God who loves you? You should. And if you don't want to know those things, there's something wrong. Paul comes to the Corinthian church and says, listen, I speak to you the wisdom of God because you're supposed to be living by a different standard. You're not supposed to be living by the wisdom of this age. That's secular. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't help you one bit when it comes to the matters of eternity. But you ought, to be, you ought to be concerned about the things that are eternal, the wisdom of God that is eternal. I heard the story of a young child who was a sixth grader. He came to know Christ as his Savior, and he became like a sponge spiritually. He just couldn't get enough of the Bible. He just wanted to know more. He asked some profound questions of his Sunday school teacher. I mean, the teacher thought this kid had such a depth of understanding about spiritual things. A sixth grader. She decided to visit this kid one day at his farm where he lived. And he was out on the front porch swinging in the front porch swing. And she walked up to him, but he didn't see her. She came from behind where he was sitting. And she saw that what he was doing was reading his Bible while he was sitting on the swing. And she heard him say to God, now God, you promised that the Holy Spirit would teach me. And then he said, Lord, I don't know what this verse means, so would you please teach me? And then he stopped and he sat there listening. How many magazines do you have stacked up by your favorite chair? You know, Field and Stream, Fishing Magazines, Golf Digest, 
How many magazines do you have stacked up beside your chair that you pull out and you want to know everything? I want to know the latest technology. I want to know the latest technique. I want to know the best way to go about something. And we're smart about things that really we don't need to be as smart about while we're dumb about the things where we really need to be smart. Am I making sense? Think about the distinctiveness of God's wisdom to the wisdom of this age. God's wisdom says if you follow Jesus, people will think you're fools. His wisdom says that you humble yourself while others are exalting themselves. It says you forgive while others are seeking revenge. It says you give away while others are collecting stuff for themselves. It says you live for the unseen world while others are living for the here and now. It says you deny yourself some of the pleasures of this world in order to live a holy life while others are seeking the experience of every possible pleasure in the world in which we live. Do you understand God's wisdom is distinctly opposite to the wisdom of this age, the secular viewpoint of this age, the secular worldview of this age? And Paul comes and says, we speak the wisdom of God. Corinthians, I don't want you living by the wisdom of this age. I didn't come speaking to you with the wisdom of this age. I didn't come speaking to you in the terms of the wisdom of this age. I came to you speaking the wisdom of God because your life is to be characterized by a different way of living. There's a different standard by which your life is measured. It's not measured by how far up you climb on the, on the ladder of success in business. It's matter, it matters on how much you're growing in your faith in Jesus Christ and how well you know him and how well you walk with him and how well you know his word. And how well you share your faith with others. Christians are supposed to be living by a different standard. The wisdom of God. So let me ask you, which wisdom most characterizes your life? The wisdom of God or the wisdom of the world? Some of you could tell me how to solve the most complex problem. I'm talking about in this world. And thank God you can do that. That's your job. Thank God you can do that. But you don't know a thing because you don't give any effort to learning the wisdom of God. By the way, you're giving effort this morning, and I thank God for that. And I pray that you'll go from here, and you'll read the Bible for yourself, and you'll study it for yourself, and you'll ask questions in your life group, and you'll seek to understand like that six-year-old boy, Lord, I don't understand this verse. Will you show me what it means? And you'll sit there, and you'll listen to God. Commentator John Stott, somebody who is pretty well known amongst preachers who has written a number of books related to the scripture, this is what he wrote. No comment could be more hurtful to the Christian than the words, but you are no different from anybody else. For the essential theme, he says, of the whole Bible from beginning to end is that God's historical purpose is to call out a people for himself that this people is a holy people set apart from the world to belong to him and to obey him and that its vocation is to be true to its identity. In other words, the way you live out your life is to be true as to who you are. Your identity as a Christian, that is to be holy or different in all its outlook and behavior. If your friends look at you and they say, you know, there's really no difference between you and me. We're missing something somewhere. We're hiding something that shouldn't be hidden, or we don't know some things that we ought to know. We're not smart about the stuff that we need to be smart about because we're supposed to be living according to God's wisdom. We're supposed to be living by a different standard. But number two, as Christians, not only should we be living by a different standard, but as Christians, we should be listening to a different spirit. As Christians, we should be listening to a different spirit. I want you to understand that the wisdom of this age has a spirit. It's the spirit of this age. And the wisdom of God has the spirit of God. Look again at verse 12. He says, now we have received not, here it is, the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. In other words, we're supposed to be listening to the Spirit of God, listening to a different spirit. 
Not to the spirit of the world. You listen to the spirit of the world? Do you listen to the spirit of the world? Watch the news. You're listening to the spirit of the world. Listen to the politicians. You're listening to the spirit of the world. That's the spirit of the world. You understand what God is saying to us? Not only are you supposed to be living by a different standard, you're supposed to be listening to a different spirit. And the spirit you're supposed to be listening to has a capital S at the beginning, the Holy Spirit of God. He is the one that we listen to. I want you to notice something. From verses 10 to 14, the Holy Spirit is mentioned six times. Look at it. But God has, revealed, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit, there it is, capital, spirit. Look down at the end of verse 11. The things of God except the spirit of God, or in verse 12, the spirit who is from God. Or in verse 13, in the middle of the verse, he says, which the Holy Spirit teaches. Or in verse 14, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the spirit of God. Not only are we supposed to be living by a different standard, we're supposed to be listening to a different spirit. We're supposed to be listening to the spirit of God. And here's some good news for you. I want to tell you something really exciting. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. I heard somebody give an interesting take on the Trinity. You know, there is no analogy of the Trinity that human analogy of the Trinity that ever works. It always, it always uh, shortens the Trinity, always makes the Trinity something it isn't in the process of its communication. But I found something interesting about the Trinity. Somebody said about the Trinity. First, they said, see God the Father as God without skin. That's pretty good. He is spirit. It says those that worship him have to worship him in spirit and truth. He says, second, see God the Son with skin. John chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld uh, his glory. But thirdly, he says, see God the Holy Spirit as God who came to live in our skin, to reveal to us the things of God and to live his life through us. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit, you, you are the temple? He's li- if you're a child of God, he's living within you. And do you realize that the Spirit of God wants to do exactly what Jesus said he would do? John chapter 16, you don't need to turn there, just listen to it. John chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You hear what the Spirit of God does? Yes, he convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. But you understand he comes to teach us. And what are we supposed to be doing as the children of God? We're supposed to be listening to the Spirit of God as he guides us into the Word of God. We're supposed to be listening to what the Spirit of God has to say to us. You say, preacher, are you telling me that somebody without the Spirit of God can't learn the Bible? Well, they can learn the history of the Bible. They can learn the dates. They can learn the important figures of the Bible. They can learn various things about archaeology related to the Bible and other kinds of details of that nature. But the human spirit cannot receive the spiritual truths of the Word of God. The human spirit alone cannot receive, cannot receive the spiritual truths of the Word of God. You know what it takes to understand the truths of the Word of God? It takes the Holy Spirit of God living in us and speaking to us through the Word of God, illuminating our minds and our understanding to what the Bible has to say. That's what the Spirit of God does. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 20, and then in verse 27, he talks about us having an anointing from the Holy One. I hear preachers talking about this. They say, I just want the anointing of God. I just want the anointing of God. Now, I respect that and I love that, but that's not what 1 John 2 is talking about. Every one of you who knows Jesus Christ has the anointing of God because you have the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit already in you. The question is, are you listening to him? Are you paying attention to him? And what will the Spirit of God do? He'll show us the things that are freely given to us 
The only one who can do that is the Holy Spirit. He uses an analogy. He says, the only one who knows what's in your spirit is you. I don't know what you're thinking right now. I don't know what you're where your mind is at this moment. I I don't know what you're wishing about this sermon. I don't know what you're thinking about the afternoon. I have no idea, but you do. You know what's going on in your spirit. Do you know who knows God? The Holy Spirit. Do you know what's going on and what God wants you to know? The Holy Spirit knows. And what's the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit brings us to the truth of the word of God and speaks to our hearts so that we know what God wants us to know. See if I can illustrate this for you. Mary and I like to go occasionally down to Pigeon Forge. If you've been to Pigeon Forge, you know that they have the Titanic Museum. And we've paid a couple of times to go through the Titanic Museum. I think it's fascinating, the Titanic. Not that people died, but the Titanic, the history of it. I think it's fascinating. And when you pay to go in, they give you a ticket it's got a name on it. You don't know till you get to the end of the museum whether you were one of the passengers that died or you were one of the passengers in one of the boats that escaped. You don't know. But you go through and they take you through these different artifacts and these different aspects of what the Titanic was like. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. They got a place where you can put your hand in the water and you can feel how cold the water was when you were there, when they were there in the water. But here's what's interesting. We knew approximately where the Titanic went down, but we didn't know exactly because the waters were too deep and the waters were too cold until they developed a submarine that could be remotely controlled. And they sent it down to the bottom of the ocean about where the Titanic went down until they found the remains of the Titanic. And it had lights on it. It had cameras so you could see what was down there. It had various items that could be used to pick up things that were on the floor of the ocean way down deep where no human could ever go. And it communicated electronically with those that were on the surface of the water so that they could see and know what was happening down there at the bottom of the ocean. And I tell you, that's an illustration of how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit's way down here in the depths of God, communicating with us that are way up here on the surface of the Scripture. And he's showing us and teaching us and guiding us and helping us to understand the things of God. That's how God works. That's how God works. Please be mindful. It takes time to learn to listen to the Spirit. It takes time to learn to listen to the Spirit. You might be playing on the surf today, but tomorrow you're not going to be Jacques Cousteau at 20,000 leagues under the sea. It takes time, if you will, to learn how to listen to the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God teaches us more about God as we submit ourselves to him daily. As a matter of fact, uh, can I show you a passage that we always seem to misquote? Go back, if you will, to verse 9. He says, But as it's written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which Christ has prepared for those who love him. And we automatically, we stop and say, Oh, yes, that's about heaven. And it's true. We don't know what heaven's going to be like. We can't fully grasp the grandeur and the wonder and the majesty of that place. But that's not what he's talking about. Because in the very next verse, notice verse 10. But... God has revealed them to us. Wait a minute. Yeah, the Holy Spirit of God dives deep into the ways and the things of God and sends the signals back to us who are on the surface so that we can learn and we can know and we can understand the ways of God and we can see what it is that God wants us to know. We can know God better. Don't you want to know God better? so that we can know God better. And those things that we can't see and we can't hear that haven't even entered into the heart of man, the Spirit of God reveals them to us. Do you get what I'm saying? God wants us to live by a different standard. He wants us to listen to a different spirit. But thirdly, as Christians, we should be loving with a different sensitivity. We should be loving with a different sensitivity. Now, listen to me carefully. Look at verse 14. He says, but the natural man, what is the natural man? The natural man is the unsaved man. 
It's not the baby Christian. It's not the carnal Christian. It's not the mature Christian. What is the natural man? The natural man is somebody who's an unbeliever. They have no knowledge of the things of God because they don't know God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I uh, had an experience with this this week. Uh, I had something that was sent to me that was extremely frustrating something that was irritating and even hurtful. And I happened to mention it to a man who is a deeply spiritual man, who is a trusted man, and he said, well, those are the words of a lost man. And I got away from that, and I got to thinking to myself, that's exactly right. That's a man who doesn't get it. That's a man who doesn't understand. That's a man who's speaking from the best that he can know. He doesn't have the spirit of God within him. He has no guidance into the depths of the things of God where God is making them known to him. He has no presence of the Holy Spirit making him a child of the living God. And he can't understand the things that we say because he's smart about a lot of things that people can be smart about, but he's not smart about the stuff that we need to be smart about. He's not smart about the things of God. Think about it this way. Your job most likely has, your profession, whatever it is, most likely has its own jargon. For for instance, if you worked in a chemical plant, you might hear somebody say, well, what is the P-alkalinity of the boiler? Or what is the M-alkalinity? And someone might respond, well, maybe we need to put some H2SO4 to get the alkalinity to go down. Or somebody else might say, well, FE203, we need to take FE203 to FE304. Thank you for my chemical buddies that helped me. FE203 to FE304. But it's not just the chemical business. It's the banking business. They got their own jargon. There's the tractor company, they got their own jargon. The electrical company, they got their own jargon. And you walk into that setting, you don't know any of that. You don't have any knowledge of that. You don't have any understanding of that. And you're looking at the M alkalinity and the, and the P alkalinity and the H2SO4. That's what it's like to a lost man. It's like, what? Some of you have come... We've had people in our services that don't know Jesus Christ, and they sit here and they think to themselves, these people are crazy. They talk in a language that I don't even understand. They listen to a guy get up there and get passionate about the Bible and preaching the Bible, and he he walks all over that platform, and he ought to be standing still at his age. He doesn't need to be walking all across that platform. They don't understand. They don't get it. You know why they don't get it? They don't get it because they don't have it. They don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in their lives. You could argue with them all day long about various things that you might understand and know about the Bible. They won't ever get it until they have the Spirit of God. Adrian Rogers, who was a pastor of that famed church in Memphis, Tennessee, used to say, listen, we as Christians are twice-born men living in a world of once-born men. And once-born men don't understand twice-born men. Twice-born men understand once-born men. I was there once-born. But now I'm twice-born, and the once-born man can't understand the Spirit of God that's in the twice-born man. (laughs) If I got you totally confused. Let me put it to you another way. Suppose for a moment that you took a trip to China You didn't know anything about the language. You didn't know anything about the culture. You took a trip to China and you got off the plane. How effective do you think you would be? How effective would you would you be would you possibly be? You move into the city and there you are amongst all kinds of people, and all those people are speaking what? Chinese. And you're thinking to yourself, "What did he say? I don't know what he said." (laughs) 
I'm totally oblivious. I have no idea what he's talking about. He pointed that direction. I have no idea what that means. I don't know. That might be something bad. I might better go this direction. You have no idea what he's saying. You turn on the TV. You can't understand what they're saying. You listen to their radio programs. You can't understand what they're saying. You look at their roadside billboards. You recognize pictures, but you don't know what the words say. That's what it's like for a natural man. That's what it's like for a man that doesn't know Christ or a woman that doesn't know Christ. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. They're not smart about the stuff that it's smart to be smart about. And they won't ever be until they put their faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in their lives and he begins to teach them and open their minds and illumines their minds to be able to see and understand things that they cannot see until they have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. You say, but preacher, what that means then is that it doesn't matter if I speak the gospel to them, they can't understand the gospel. That's not what I said. It's not what I said. If there's anything you're going to speak to them, it's the gospel. Listen to the words of one author. He says, the message of wisdom. That's what we're talking about. Verse 7, the wisdom of God. The message of wisdom. Paul and other Christian teachers speak among the mature, then is not to be equated with the gospel, which is for all people without exception. As a broad generalization, he says, the kerygma, that's the preaching of the message of the cross, is for everyone, while the wisdom, which is a mystery, is for discerning, experienced Christians. The message of wisdom is the full scope of God's teaching on salvation and the Christian life, which only the mature digest and appropriate. Do you get what he's saying? No, no, no. The thing that they need to hear is the gospel. As a matter of fact, the thing that we teach people, when we teach about witnessing and sharing your faith, when somebody brings up, you know, where did Cain get his wife? You know, why did God allow polygamy in the Old Testament? Uh, what about the, the, the sun going back, you know, several degrees? You don't even discuss those matters. You say, you know, that's an important thing. And I want to be able to give you an answer to that. But let me finish telling you about the gospel of Jesus. I want to tell you about the one who rose from the grave. Because the fact of the matter is they will never understand the miracles of God until they've experienced the ultimate miracle, the miracle of their salvation. Are you all with me? They will never understand the miracles of God until they understand the miracle of God's salvation. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence within them. And so we just keep giving them the gospel. Even if they want to know other questions, you might clarify a few things here or there. You might explain that there's some answers to that, but you go right back laser-focused on the gospel because the gospel is for everybody. But some of the deeper things of God are for those who possess the Spirit of God. I want to read to you something, then I'm going to finish to illustrate to you what I'm talking about. Why is it the homosexual community, the transgender community looks at us and despises us because the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit. A friend of mine gave me a book called um, The Gospel Comes with a Door Key. It's a book about hospitality. To be honest with you, at the first chapter, I thought, mm, I don't think I'm going to read the rest of this. But I sort of powered through it, and I found it to be fascinating. Very radical, but I found it to be fascinating. It's written by a woman who was a tenured professor at Syracuse. She was a tenured professor in, in English. She was the leader of the, the head of the, of the women's study department. Uh, she was a lesbian in a committed relationship, 20 years in a committed relationship with another woman. And a pastor and his wife began inviting her to their house, opened their house with hospitality, and began engaging her in conversation. She was using them for research for a paper she was going to write about the, you know, the radical right. But the end result is, after a long period of time, didn't happen quickly, after a long period of time, she came to know Christ as her Savior. She ended up marrying a man who is now a pastor. She has several children of her own. 
Her name is Rosaria Butterfield, and I've quoted from two of her other books in the past. This is a new book, or a more recent book. Listen to what she has to say, several paragraphs. You begin to understand the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. She writes, the year 2015 was a decisive mark representing a turning of the tide in the United States. Obergefell versus Hodges, the 2015 Supreme Court decision that legalized gay marriage and introduced the idea that sexual orientation determines who a person truly and deeply is was truly a landmark decision. Whether you supported it or not, this court case left the world a different place than it was before. She goes on, for some, the Obergefell decision righted social wrongs and thereby made this world a better place. Love wins and love makes a family became the slogans that stood behind what proponents called marriage equality. Since Obergefell, the gospel has been on a collision course with the idea that gay is who you are and not perhaps how you are. Do you get the difference? The idea that gay is who you are and not perhaps how you are. She finishes, Marriage equality rests on the idea that sexual orientation makes a person who she inherently, who she inherently or essentially is. Let me read that again. I messed it up. Marriage equality rests on the idea that sexual orientation makes a person who she inherently or essentially is. That gay or lesbian describes who you are. Sexual identity, she says, says proponents of marriage equality, determines personhood, and it must be protected by civil rights policy. But is this true? Is personhood determined by sexual desire, which was Freud's position, by the way, or by being made in God's image, male and female, with inherent uh, ethical and moral responsibilities, constraints and blessings? She finishes up today to refuse to both accept and approve of those who identify as LBG, L LGBTQ, etc., is to deny their rights to determine for themselves what personhood means. This brings us to the epicenter of the worldview divide. Whose image do we bear? The image of God, that's the wisdom of God, or the reflection of our sexual autonomy, that's the wisdom of the age. And thus comes this conflict. Thus comes the conflict. Why don't they understand? Doesn't this make sense to them? Isn't this reasonable? Isn't this rational? Isn't this, listen, since we started with evolution and we said that there is no God who stamps his image on any of us, we just all evolved from, from a lower life form. We've been telling our kids for years they ought to love themselves. Love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. You gotta love yourself, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. We made sure to tell them, hey, you can be anything you want to be, anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. I'd like to be six foot five, <laughs> but I can't. You can be anything you want to be. No, it ought to be. By the way, I'm just stopping you. This is just pastoral work here. It ought to be parents, Christian parents. It ought to be you can be whatever God wants you to be. There's a vast difference. You can be whatever you want to be. We passed through, my generation passed through the, sexual, the, the, the uh, sexual revolution. We threw off all boundaries, all restraint. And now we're reaping the whirlwind. And they don't get it. They don't understand it. You know why? They're a natural man. They're a natural man. So that anymore when I see somebody who's of that persuasion... You know, the only thing I want to get with them is the gospel. Because until you have the gospel, until you understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and you put your faith in Jesus for the gift of eternal life, you will never, ever understand the image of God that he stamped on you at creation. We're to be living by a different standard we're to be listening to a different spirit. And we're to be loving with a different sensitivity. Yeah, it's easy to get in there. Hey, let's go at it, man. Oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. You know, I'm going to get in there. Hey, Christians don't do that. Christians get in there and they say, you know what? I know what you're saying about me. I know how you're acting toward me. And I know what you think about me. But I still want you to know the gospel. 
Because the gospel and the gospel alone can change your life and you won't understand anything else we have to tell you until you get the gospel right. So let me ask you a question, a couple of questions. Are you satisfied with your current level of spiritual maturity? Are you satisfied? Spiritual maturity is directly proportional to spiritual hunger. The more mature you are, the hungrier you are. And the hungrier you are, the more mature you will be. Please understand something. Spiritual hunger and physical hunger are opposites. The wisdom of this age, the wisdom of the world. They're opposites. Physical hunger when you, is when you, or physical uh, satisfaction is when you eat until you're satisfied and you want no more. But spiritually, when you eat, you get hungrier and want more. You get the difference? Now, I know sometimes you've seen me eat and you think, well, he didn't get satisfied and quit eating. But the reality is you can only eat so much and you get satisfied and you don't want any more. But you know what? The more of God you get, oh, man. <laughs> the more of God you want. You can't give me enough. I mean, you talk about heavenly Twinkies. I mean, just bring them on. The spiritual Twinkies, bring them on. Because the more you have, the more you want. Because you've tasted of the goodness of God. And you can't get enough. And number two. Second question. Are you trying to reach someone that doesn't seem to understand you? They just don't get you? And you get with them and you get into an argument. Ah, you know, we're going to... Hey, stop the arguing. Get before them and say, look, let me tell you how the gospel changed me. Let me tell you what the gospel can do for you. Let me explain the gospel. Here's the, here's the thing. If Jesus rose from the grave, if Jesus rose from the grave, that changes everything. And you give them the gospel. Because until they get the gospel, they will never understand what you believe.